There have been thousands upon thousands who have sacrificed for our great nation. And there are many people who are heartbroken because they never came home. And this morning, I would like for us to just bow our heads for a moment. And can we honor those soldiers that have fallen for our freedom, those that have fought so that you and I could worship and experience the presence of God like we just did a few moments ago. So, Father, we thank you this morning for our great nation. We thank you for those who have fought, Lord, for our freedom and have given us such great liberty in this nation. Father, we lift up those that, Lord, are heavy-hearted because they have they never came home. They gave their lives in the act of service. I pray that you would comfort, Lord, children who are missing their mom and dad. I pray for moms and dads who are missing their sons or daughters. I pray that you comfort their hearts this weekend. And as this great nation takes a moment to remember why we have such a great nation. It has been the sacrifice of those who have given their life so that we can be free. And we pray a blessing upon them, Father. We pray you comfort them. And we pray, God, as communities and cities celebrate and give honor, Lord, this weekend, I pray that you bring unity. I pray that you bring healing. And most importantly, may Jesus Christ be lifted and glorified. In Jesus' name, can we all say amen. Well, good to see you this morning. Thank you for uh, worshiping. Man, just such incredible presence of God this morning. And, and it's so good for us when we come together and worship like we do. And today, I want, to, I want us to continue this sermon series on when one to win a thousand win one to win a thousand. And what we're looking at is how God wants to, um, I'm looking for my glasses and I can't find them. I'm digging. I'm hoping I can pull out a candy bar or something, but win one to win a thousand. Win one to win a thousand. What What are we saying about this? This is the heart of God, that God wants to win people to him. And this is the heart of Christ. And today we're going to look at how he does that. How does Jesus do this? And most importantly, you, you, won't, you don't know how one person committing their life to Christ, how that will impact the entire kingdom of God. Uh, I made reference to D.L. Moody, who his goal when he gave his life to Christ, it was, a, it was I believe, a, a Sunday school teacher who won D.L. Moody to the Lord. And as D.L. Moody committed his life to Christ and became a minister, it was his goal to win a million people. That was his goal. He prayed over it. He said, God, I want to win a million people. And I believe he surpassed that amount. You don't know Billy Graham. Who was it that gave uh, witness and led Billy Graham to the Lord? And look at the impact that Billy Graham has had uh, over the years of people who have committed their life to Christ. Uh, you don't know the one person that you win to Jesus. You don't know the thousands that will come to Christ because you, you reached out to someone. So there's, it's twofold. One, let's come back to the heart of why we do this, and that is, first off, uh, people are lost without Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at it th- this morning. The, the byproduct of that is that one person coming to Christ 
many, thousands can be possibly uh, saved as well. So as you're turning your Bibles, we'll start at Luke chapter 19, and then we're going to, we're going to go to uh, Luke chapter 15. We'll, so we'll stay in the book of Luke for a moment. But as you're turning there, let me just say to you, welcome to New Spring Church. Can we welcome all of our guests today? We're so glad that you're here. Hey, you do me a favor on your way out today as you leave, stop by the Connection Center. Uh, we have a gift for you. Stop by there. We'd love to be able to just let you know we appreciate you being here today. Groups are starting up. Uh, some more groups are being uh, started, and I, I love this, are being registered. And so make sure that you join a group this summer. Uh, we want you to really connect with each other, build some relationships, and encourage one another. Uh, growth track is every every weekend. So if you're new to New Spring and you want to know more about New Spring and its mission and how are we connecting with each other and this community, uh, your next step is growth track. And growth track runs every week except for the fifth Sunday. And I believe we are in the fifth Sunday today. So every week we have growth track and you can join and register that as well. And this coming Wednesday night, you don't want to miss. It is first Wednesday. It is a, an hour packed full of worship, prayer. We do communion. And we're doing water baptism. If you gave your life to Christ and you want to be baptized, uh, go ahead and register for that as well. First Wednesday is, is just amazing. I love being in the presence of God and with you uh, worshiping and praying together. So let's take a look this morning, uh, Luke chapter 19. Jesus gives, check this out, Jesus gives his personal mission statement. And you should have a personal mission statement. What is your personal mission statement? What is it that you do? What, what is it that God called you to do? What is your purpose in life? Well, Jesus gives his personal mission statement in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Can you say that with me? Seek and to save the lost. Jesus gives his personal mission of why he is on this earth. Why did he come? That's the whole heartbeat of God. And I want you to see this, and you can write this down this morning, that Jesus is on a rescue mission, and he commissions us to join him. So Jesus is on this rescue mission to seek and to save those who are lost, and he is commissioning us, you and me, to join in with him on this message or this mission of seeking people who are lost. There is a common theme throughout the Bible, and there's been many people that have tried to highlight who God is and what he is all about. And I'm sad to say that they have misrepresented God, that God is a God of war and anger, and he's mad and he's upset. He's waiting for people to mess up so he can punish them. And all of that is a, a misrepresentation of God. Does God get upset? Yes, he does. Does God, is he going to judge? Yes, he will judge. But I want, I, I want us to pay attention to really what God has said over and over in his word. And he has said to us that he is a God who saves. Zephaniah 3.17, that he is a God who is mighty to save. And if we look at God throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, through the entire Old Testament and even New Testament to the fact of John 3.16, we will see the true heart of God, and that is that he will do everything in his power to move heaven and earth so people can be saved. Is anyone grateful this morning, come on, that God saves you, that you've been found, 
I always say this, I didn't find God, God found me. Don't get it backwards. I didn't, I didn't come to God because I was smart enough. I came to God because he reached me. He, he found me when I, was, when I didn't even know I was lost. He found me. And there are two types of people in the world. There are some that they know they're lost and they're looking for Christ to save them. And there's others that need Christ to save them and they don't even know they're lost. Can I tell you, God will save both of them and he will do everything he can because he's on a rescue mission, come on, to seek and to save those who are lost. And I'm glad that God found me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus is going to reinforce this rescue mission and commissioning us to join in with him on this. Look what he said. Therefore, go. Someone shout go. Go. Get up. Go. Don't stay here. Go. I'm not telling you to leave the church. I'm just telling you. I love worship service. I love to sit around for hours and be in God's presence. But there's another part of this that we are to get up, take the presence of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that he's given us, and go. Go into your grocery store. Go into your cubicle at work. Go into your workplace. Go into your neighborhood. Go into your parks. Go and make a difference. Go and seek. Get on the rescue mission with Jesus and go. And what does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're on. I wonder what part of the mission are you on? It takes some to do evangelism. It takes some to teach. It takes some to equip. It takes some to offer care. And the body of Christ has many different functions. And I'll move on to the next one, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And this is really where God spoke to me months ago about this whole sermon series. It was out of this, out of this scripture, out of this context. And he said, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God is going to build his body, his church, not through perfect people, but through lost people. God is going to build his church not through people who are highly educated. While we need that, I'm not against education. But that's not the way it's going to come. It's going to come through the efforts of us reaching people who are broken, people who are lost, and people who are even, they don't even know they're broken. But they're lost without Jesus Christ. God is going to build his church, and he's going to use you, and he's going to use me to help rescue, come on, those who need to be rescued. Can you shout amen? So we don't have the power to convert people, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to share our story, to share what Christ has done. Don't ever lose sight. Don't ever lose the sensitivity of you being grateful that Christ reached out of the miry clay, the depths of the lowest places that you've ever been, and brought you out, dusted you off, made you clean, made you righteous, and that you never lose that joy that, come on, you, are, you were once lost, but now you are found and brought into the body of Christ. Anyone, come on, just take a 30-second praise break for a moment. Anyone grateful that you're found? You and I would not be found if he wasn't on a rescue mission. 
And many of us this morning would not be found if it wasn't for a church or pastor or Sunday school teacher or a groups leader. Someone in the church, a deacon, someone in the church reached out to you and they brought you in, introduced you to Jesus Christ, prayed for you when you need to be prayed for, encouraged you to keep on going when you felt like you didn't want to go on Someone encouraged you to stay in there and hang in there. And God is still looking for us, come on, to join with him on this rescue mission. Would it be a sin for us to pass by? Would it be a sin for you? Would it be a sin for me to pass by a burning house and hearing screams from the house and not do anything to try to save those people? Would it be a sin? to not at least call 911? Would it be a sin to just ignore it and walk by while the house is burning knowing that there's people inside the house? And would it be a sin for us knowing that you and I have Jesus Christ who can change people's lives and not do everything that we possibly can to inform them of what a relationship with Jesus Christ can do for their life? Here's the thing, I, Jesus reaches these people and many people have different ways and styles and methods and I think Jesus' method and style of reaching people is the best, best method. So I want you to look at it today. Jesus brings good news to people who have been cast aside either by the church and society. Even if it's just for one person. So Jesus brings good news. Anyone like good news? I, I love good news. If you're gonna if you're gonna tell me some news, I want it to be good. All right. Even if it's bad news, can you just can you just take it and make it seem good? Can you give me can you give me some hope somewhere? Right. Well, I'm just a person. I'm blunt. Well, don't be so blunt. I just tell it like it is. Well, good. Tell it like it is. But can you, can you at least tell it in a way that you give me some hope at the end of this whole conversation? And Jesus does this. He confronts things, but he gives people and always leaves them hope. He tells good news. He's good news. He's, his attitude, Jesus' attitude was contagious. It drew people in. He gives hope. He was caring. He was loving. Catch this. He was respectful, and he was also, he, he treated people, even though they were in sin and they were lost, he treated people with dignity. I would that the church be empowered by the Holy Spirit, come on, to treat people with dignity, not to belittle them. The woman at the well is a good example this morning. The woman at the well was missing something. She had a hole inside of her. She was searching and searching for fulfillment through relationships and she couldn't find it. And Jesus, he didn't belittle her. He talked straight to her, but he didn't make her feel like trash. He didn't make her feel like there was something wrong with her other than I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you in the right direction here. But, it, but, but the fact that he was able to speak to her in a way, it drew her in to receive the truth that he wanted to give to her. <clears throat> Religious people wouldn't even minister to this lady. It was the religious crowd. I don't know what happened. I'm not against religion, obviously, 
And I, I, there are certain acts and disciplines of religion that we do that we need. We need to read our Bible. We need to worship. We need to be faithful to church. We need to do all these things. But when we take the acts of religion and make themselves, uh, make themselves in of themselves God, or we are lifted up in pride because we are, our religious acts make us feel prideful, here's what happens. Pride becomes, sets in, and we begin to treat people we begin to treat people like we are better than them, and we don't even know it. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, go back and look at the, look at the Pharisees. They went to Pharisee Sunday school. Someone taught them the law. It was supposed to be good. It was all good stuff. But it wasn't, it wasn't the fact the law or what God was trying to teach them wrong how they were taking it and processing it in their heart and lifting up in pride is what made it wrong. And what we do as a church is good. But may we never forget that what we do as a church and our worship to God does not make us righteous. And we are not better than law, the lost people. And if we go to a world and look look down on them well you're lost and you need to be found if that's the, our heart and attitude you'll never reach not one person to Jesus Christ because that is not the way that Jesus method or his style was to reach them even the disciples questioned Jesus why are you talking to this woman at the well they were really like why is he talking to her she's doesn't he know that she's she's a bad person but here's what Jesus does and here how he, here's how he finds value in her. He asked her to give him water. He lets her serve him. And she's amazed at this and says, wow, you, if you knew who I was, you would not be asking me to serve you. And Jesus turns all this around. Jesus clearly, plainly, and boldly communicates good news. And here's what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is offering it to you, then you would ask. I think that's what our statement should be as we're reaching lost people. Here's what I think our statement should be. We need to tell people that there's one true God who loves them and he's here to give them eternal life. And if they will know God through Jesus Christ and accept him, a relationship with Jesus will turn their life around. Jesus is willing to cross false religious restrictions, cultural taboos, and gender and racial divides. And you and I are on a rescue mission where we are to do the same thing. Cross these false restrictions. Cross these cultural taboos and gender and racial divides so that we can rescue people to Jesus Christ. Now, you and I are not only called to the people we like, you are called to the people who are different than you. People who don't act like you, you're called to them. People who don't think like you, you're called to them. People who are, different, who are from different backgrounds. We don't just reach the people that we can relate to. We're to reach the people and rescue the people that we don't relate to because that's what Jesus did. You're called to not only the people that you get along with, you're called to everyone. Someone shout everyone. New Spring Church, we are called to reach everyone. Every social class, every race, every background. People who have it together and people who don't have it together. We're to reach everyone. 
And if we pass by the people that we don't relate to, catch this, then we are no different than the stuck-up, snobby priests and Levites that left the man lying on the side of the road who had been robbed and beaten and left by thieves for dead. We're no different. And I love this about Jesus, that Jesus was called to everyone and that Jesus could minister to 10,000 people and he could minister to one lonely woman who's lost at the well. And he gave the same amount of passion and effort for both. I, I, I really don't relate to pastors or even worship leaders who will not give their best or they will only give their best if there's a crowd. I don't relate to it. We are called not only to the masses, we're called to the one. And the greater your anointing will be to the one, it will show up when God puts you in front of the masses. Are you with me this morning? I've had people decline. They say, I'm not going to teach a class, Pastor. I don't want to do the groups because there's only two people. And I said, well, it's probably good that you don't want to teach because if that's your heart, I really don't want you teaching. I want you teaching to, I want you teaching to the one person if that's what God calls us to do. Do I have a witness this morning? <clears throat> the size of the crowd doesn't matter. And if God will place, who is the one in your life that God will place you in front of? Who is the one? So Jesus brings good news to people who have been cast aside by the church, society, and even if it's just for one. Jesus also finds people that are lost, even if it's just one. He's finding people who are lost. Look at Luke chapter 15. Let's read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. I want you to see the entire context to you because Jesus is really unpacking some, some truth and he's trying to address an issue and trying to move some hearts. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. <laughs> I love that. I love that word, muttered. Have you ever been around people who are muttering? I can't believe Jesus. I can't believe he's talking to those people. Mutter, 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 mutter. I can't believe... I can't believe so-and-so is having lunch with that person. Mutter, 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 mutter. I can't believe our church is reaching out to these kinds of people. Mutter, 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 mutter. Be careful of the muttering. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, my goodness. He's eating with sinners. Sinner. I, I wish that New Spring people, here's what I pray. I pray that you get a reputation in this city. Those New Spring people, they're eating with sinners. They're hanging out with those type of people? Mutter, 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 mutter. 
Jesus is going to call you to reach the one who may not look like you. And are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to give you an anointing to seek and to save the lost? In Jesus' name. Then Jesus told them this parable. He tells this story as an answer to this muttering. But these guys need to be on the same page with Jesus, and he really wants them to, so he's going to tell them this, this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And he finds it, and he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home, and look at this. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And this was written in red. This is Jesus saying this. Look what he, now he's going to go on to another parable because he really wants them to see a different, same story, same, same dynamics happen, but a different scenario. Look what he says. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I'm not going to read the third parable, but it goes on now. He's going to talk about, he's talking about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And he says the same thing. Here's a lost son. And at the end, they throw a party because he has come home. Jesus is on this rescue mission to find people who are lost. What is the backdrop of this parable? Check it out. It gives a great depth. He is speaking to Pharisees, and they're accusing Jesus of being friends of sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus is dealing with this religious spirit where they have allowed themselves to feel so righteous that they have lost the heartbeat of the mission of Jesus. What is a religious spirit, you ask? It is judgmental. There's no grace. It's all based on performance and outward appearance. It's based on image. And it does damage to the kingdom of God because while we may do things that look religious, they're to be to worship to God and never to be a platform to where we feel like that we have arrived somewhere where other people are not. And Jesus begins to deal with this. He begins to ask them the question, suppose one of you has lost sheep. And they were amazed at this. You know why? They were totally offended at this. Because in society at that time, shepherds were low-class people. They didn't trust shepherds. Shepherds were not well-liked. They were seen as outcasts. They were the lowest of the low. And Jesus is now asking these Pharisees, suppose you're a shepherd and you have lost sheep. Well, in this parable, God is the shepherd. The lost sheep are those who don't know Jesus. And can I just tell you, if people 
don't know Jesus, Jesus sees them as lost. And that shouldn't bother us. That should move our heart. Sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. Sheep have this drive to pursue greener pastures. They will climb in, in awkward situations, either up or down, and they'll get stuck. And they will end up dying because they're always driven to go to greener pastures. I, I thought about this even in my own life. There's sometimes I feel like a lost sheep. There's things that I get discontent with and I make decisions and I'm stuck and I need a shepherd. I need Jesus to help me. Anyone, anyone still need a shepherd in their life? We get driven. We make decisions. We get stuck. And we need the great shepherd to put us back on track again. I, went, I think the Pharisees, if they understood that whole principle, they would have not have judged Jesus' actions the way they did. Sheep... Psalm 23 gives us a little bit of insight. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will make me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. Sheep will not lie down unless they feel safe and secure. And sheep will drink contaminated water, and a shepherd has to show them which waters to drink from. And people are in this world, they're lost. They don't know where to drink from, what water to drink from, what information to receive. They don't know what decisions to make. And they need a shepherd. They need Jesus, a relationship with Christ. And Jesus knows that if we're not willing to meet people like he's meeting the woman at the well, that you, don't, you cannot change people's lives without a relationship, without meeting them and introducing yourself and having conversations with them and showing interest in them. People's lives are not changed. Lost sheep cannot be found unless we're willing to meet. And the Pharisees' problem was is they never felt like they needed to meet anyone. They were all in a class on their own. And I pray our church never never ever gets to a place where we feel like we have arrived that we're unwilling to meet new people and introduce them to Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we have to understand that when we're convicted, that God is convicting our hearts about something in our life where we need to improve, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. In fact, it means the opposite, that when God convicts me of something, he's showing me that he loves me Jesus loves you so much that he accepts you just as you are. And today, this morning, you may have been rejected by a class of people. You may have been rejected by the church. You may have been an outcast for what you have done. People will not leave you alone because of it. But can I tell you, Jesus is looking for people just like you. He's reaching lost people who have been rejected. And he's, what is he doing? He loves us enough to, to accept us like we are. And he loves us enough to not leave us like we are. The way that Jesus changes people is totally different than the way religious people want to change people. Can I tell you just one thing that 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 shows us how God builds people and builds his church? Look what he said. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but by chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you this morning, but you may feel like you've been rejected. But there's good news. What, where people have rejected, God has accepted. 
And he is building his church with people who have been rejected by society and by humans. And he's building, your, building, building his kingdom and building his family with rejected stones. Anyone glad that they've been rejected but accepted by God this morning? Here's what I love about this whole concept of finding people or finding lost, finding the rejected. In 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7, when they were building the, tab the tabernacle, they would go to a, a quarry, a rock quarry, and they would, they, would not, they would not chisel the stones at the sanctuary. There was no hammer. The Bible says in 1 Kings, no hammer, no sound, no chiseling was done in the temple. It was all done at the rock quarry. This is what I love about God. Because God, while we are different people, different backgrounds, different places, God chooses us to come together and says, you're the kind of person, yes, the world may have rejected you, but I'm accepting you, and I want to do all of my work in your life separately. God wants to, us to find lost people, but he's not worried about you trying to clean them up or chiseling them off, making them look good. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. Come on, let them work on them. All we need to do is bring them, come on, to God's place and God's family and let them find a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are on God's rescue mission. We're finding people. We're going to win one, and God's going to see the harvest of a thousand. Jesus seeks. Jesus finds. And here's what we see in the parables, and Jesus rejoices, even if it's for just one. Can we continue to develop a culture here at New Spring that we get excited about lost people being found? So let's practice this. Let's say that 25 people give their life to Jesus Christ this year. They're baptized. They accept Jesus. They find freedom in their lives. They're working in God's, in God's kingdom. They're teaching classes. They're befriending people. They're reaching the world. They're going out into the, into the grocery store giving a witness and a light for Christ. And let's say that we see 25 people do that this year in 2021. Can anybody do what Jesus did? Come on and rejoice. Can we rejoice? What if it's 50 people that give their life to Jesus Christ this year? Come on, what if it's 100 people that give their life to Jesus Christ, have been found, the lost has been found? What if it's one? <laughs> what if it's one? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and I want you to think about this. I, one of my Facebook friends posted this this week, this story. It's a true story. Uh, we actually went to Panama City Beach last year and on vacation. So this kind of st you know, stuck out to me, stood out to me, and I, I thought, wow, we were, we were just there. Uh, this, this was written by Jan, Jan Aldridge, and she took the story that happened a possible drowning in Panama City Beach a few years ago 
And this story resonated with me because I thought, wow, as I was studying and praying over this message about Jesus on this rescue mission and how he's asking us to be on this rescue mission with him, this story and what she writes, her reflection on this really resonated with me, and I, I, I think it will with you too. She said, here's what she wrote. There was a story in the news a few summers ago about 80 beachgoers who formed a human chain to save a family from drowning in Panama City, Florida. Nine people were caught in a riptide. On shore, a woman saw what was happening and started out towards them. Her husband and a few other men immediately started a human chain. And as the woman continued to swim towards those drowning, the human chain quickly grew. Eighty people had locked hands stretching over a hundred yards. Some couldn't swim. Others stood in water up to their necks, but all jumped in to help. And the men who had started the chain were able to reach far enough to begin pulling the children in first, passing them down the line to safety. Slowly, all who were in danger of dying were pulled to the shore. One passed out. One had a heart attack. Another a broken hand, but all were saved. Those on shore said it was the most remarkable thing to see 80 strangers linking hands, pulling people to safety. There's a lesson, she writes. We can learn from this, probably several, but I couldn't help but wonder what each of the 80 people in the chain were thinking as they stood there locking hands with one another. Did number 18 feel he wasn't doing enough? All he was doing was holding on to 17 and 19. Maybe number eight couldn't see the end of the line, but all they knew to do was to keep holding tight. What was number 52 thinking? Wasn't pulling, he wasn't pulling anyone out of the water. And did number 36 feel he wasn't doing anything significant? Numbers 1 through 79 didn't do anything but lock hands with the person next to them. But make no mistake about it, each one was as important as number 80. The one grabbing those drowning by the arm and starting them down the line to safety. If it had not been for each of them, all nine probably would have died. And here's what she says. The kingdom of God works in much of the same way. Don't let Satan ever convince you that what you do in the kingdom of God is insignificant. And don't ever compare what you do for the kingdom to someone else. We must all work where we have been planted to win souls until the Lord returns. None of us can do it alone. And after you've done or after you have found your place, she writes, grab a hand. You may not be able to see the end of the line, but grab a hand and hold on with all your might because the greatest harvest is yet to come for the kingdom of God. Can you stand with me this morning? Come on, let's give Lord a praise for what he's telling us this morning. Here's what I want to tell you. You have a piece of paper that was handed to you this morning. And I want you to write, I'm going to ask you, who is your one? Who is your one? Who's the one that God is asking you to reach? Who's the lost that God is going to allow you to interact into their life and that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to say the right words that's going to lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ? Sharing your story 
is your ability to rescue and save the one that God places in your life. And your story of what Jesus has done for you is going to lead someone to Jesus Christ. We've been preaching this for a long time, Bonnie and I. And I remember years ago, we were at Lebanon Assembly of God Church, just right down the road. Ross was only eight, ten years old. And we, he heard the message about how we are to interact with people who are hurting. And here's an eight to ten-year-old kid goes to school, and they're on the playground. And his buddy on the play, playground begins to tell him, sees tears in his eyes, and Ross says, what's wrong? He said, my mom and dad are divorcing, and I'm heartbroken over it. I don't know what to do. And Ross began to express what an eight to ten-year-old boy could do. He says, well, can I pray with you? Maybe Jesus will help you, and maybe he'll help your mom and dad. Ross, on the playground, Clinton Massey School, prays with his friends. The teacher hears it, overhears it, and writes us a note and lets Bonnie know. Says, I just want you to know how proud I am of Ross, of letting his light shine for God. He just prayed with his friend at school. And here he is, seven years, several years later has passed. The, boys, the boy knows Jesus Christ, family stood together. And I'm just telling you this, here's what I'm telling you. If an eight or a 10 year old boy can share what they know of Jesus, come on, you and I can do this too. Can we not lock hands new spring? Come on, join hands together and say, I'll do my part. I'll do my part to win the loss.